When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 31 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with me, Harry Robinson, and with the returning Jack Tate after typical spring illness last week. Um, the sun is shining, shorts are out, but um, United are doing their best to regain that sixth place in the Premier League. We're recording just after Man City's trip to Arsenal. That finished 2-2, which means we're two points above Arsenal, both having played 28 games. City are five points ahead of us, but we have a game in hand, and we're six points off Liverpool, but have two games in hand on them though their goal difference is significantly better, like almost everybody in the league. Jack, should we, should we just pack it in? Um, upload the same episode every week now. Another home draw, the eighth in the Premier League at Old Trafford this season, incredibly. I think it's 15 or 16 games we've played. Um, I've seen on Twitter the theatre of draws, the theatre of yawns. Any other terrible puns or just just some more size? More size, really. Um, we could easily just replay three or four different episodes that we've had so far this season and just covered over the different team names with West Brom and we would have been absolutely fine for this week. It was dire, honestly. It was terrible. Um, we didn't even create that many chances. We had we had one really clear-cut chance of Mkhitaryan's effort because the, the other two saves we've made Ben Foster pull off weren't really chances. They were just brilliant efforts by Rashford. And apart from that, we had absolutely nothing. It was... It was terrible, honestly. And at such an important stage of the season, we can't afford to be dropping two points to teams like West Brom at home. Yeah, there's very few words to describe it. Um, I mean, we've used most of them in the the eight other episodes where we've basically had this conversation. I think Saturday was a bit worse, to be honest. I mean, there's a really important caveat that we're missing. Pogba, Zlatan, Herrera, Mata. That's probably the creative spine of the team. And I've always said that Zlatan sort of takes away that dynamism of the team. Um, we look much more dynamic without him. We did, we did not look much more dynamic without him on Saturday. 
despite having the pace of Rashford, of Mkhitaryan, of Martial, we just didn't use it. And I think that's what's so frustrating. We had 18 shots, 3-1 target, but what's most important is nine of those were outside the box. So half of our shots came outside of the box. I mean, that just shows how, how little penetration we had on Saturday. I, I think part of the issue is, without Ibrahimovic, we have no one who's really capable of actually committing defenders outside of the area when we play against people, teams that sit back. It's all well and good having people like Rashford and Martial in the team who are fantastic players, but their game is built on getting in behind and running at players. And when you play against a team like West Brom, if every single one of your forward players is the same kind of player, they can just sit back, defend deep. And if you don't give them the space to run in behind or beat a man, then they can't really do anything. That's not to say that we, we, there was no way that we were ever going to score against West Brom because you have to find a way to adapt against those teams. Um, but I think it's those kind of situations where having Ibrahimovic makes us a much better team in that we have a different kind of threat. We, we, it was ridiculous. We kept playing so many crosses into the box and we're against one of the tallest teams in the Premier League, a team known for how good they are in the air. And we had absolutely no one capable of winning the header. Our, our tallest striker or forward player was probably Rashford. Who is not known for his not really known for his height, is he? Let's be honest. Um, nor nor his strength. Exactly, we had no one capable of putting up of putting up any sort of challenge to the West Brom defenders, and yet we kept playing right into their hands. It was ridiculous that and the players and the manager are both equally culpable for this as well. Some of Mourinho's substitutions were baffling. Why why we played with two holding midfielders until the end of the game? I still don't know. I will never understand. At least the other games where we haven't been able to finish off chances it was almost like we were creating them. You know, there were positive signs, but we just couldn't finish them off. But we, we could barely even create a chance against West Brom. Hull, Stoke, Burnley, West Ham, West Brom, they've all come to Old Trafford with a game plan and generally quite, quite a similar game plan. And every time we've just fallen into it, they all wanted us to sit around their area, messing about, passing it backwards, having all the ball. They all wanted us to resort to chucking it long. And when your forwards are Rashford and Martial and Fellaini's playing deeper, bear in mind Fellaini's on the pitch, I generally wouldn't have cared if Fellaini was moved to, to number nine and then put Rashford and Martial in a very narrow 4-3-3. Because if you've got Rashford and Martial as your forwards and you're, you're against one of the tallest teams in the league, as almost all of those teams listed are, that's just playing into their hands. We, we attempted 29 crosses against a central defence of Gareth McCauley and Johnny Evans, two fairly tall centre-backs, with Rashford as a lone central striker. I mean, that's that that doesn't make sense, particularly when you've got Fellaini on the pitch. Yeah, tactically, tactically it was it was ridiculous. There was a point right at the end of the game, I think it was like the 92nd minute, and Carrick picked up the ball around the halfway line, and Fellaini was behind him. He was in the centre circle in the 92nd minute when we were chasing a goal to win the game. The only player on our team really capable of going up and actually giving a challenge to some of the West Brom defenders as we tried to pump the ball long, was inside our own half. It, it was just ridiculous. The, and that's not, that's not me bashing Fellaini because he's obviously been told to play that role and still, still sit deep. And that, that's not his fault. But it comes from the manager. It comes from direction from the manager. For me, that, that was just the point at which I realised that there, there, there's a lot that needs to change and Mourinho needs to take a lot of responsibility. His interview with the BBC after, which was frankly ridiculous, we'll probably talk about that more in a bit, but the interview with the BBC where he seemed to shift all the blame onto the players was very ironic, I thought, because he needs to take a long look in the mirror because he, he takes a lot of responsibility for this draw. Marino's going to point to us creating a lot of chances and to be fair to him, we should have, we should have scored more than we have this season. Um, 
only Liverpool create more chances per game, um, and that's a very small gap at that. But Liverpool have scored 22 more goals than us. I mean, Bournemouth have scored the same goals as us um, and created almost five fewer chances per game than us. I mean, so so he's got a right to, to complain. But the the draw on Saturday was not the same as the other games. And I think a frustration of mine this week has generally just been United fans on Twitter. And obviously they're not representatives representative of, of match-going Reds, but I, I generally follow mainly match-going United fans. Um, and one thing that just got on my nerve is that anyone who complains about Mourinho's style of football or Mourinho's naivety is now slated for not being behind him. And so I completely trust Mourinho to turn it round. I completely trust him to make next season better. But an EFL Cup win doesn't make up for not achieving top four because... I don't care about the money spent. I don't care if we spent 50 million or 400 million on the on the four players that came in. But with the arrivals of Zlatan, Pogba, Mkhitaryan, Bayern, Mourinho, they could have been free for all I care. But with those players, and Zlatan was free, with those players, you're expected to make top four the minimum achievement. And that's not me saying Mourinho's got to go. I, I, someone came on Five Live on, on 606 and said that and was <laughs> rightly shouted down. But... I think some United fans have uh, upped their expectations too much. Some have lowered their expectations too much. And others are just blindly backing Mourinho. And I don't I don't mean they're saying Mourinho should stay. Mourinho's the right man. Mourinho is the right man. And Mourinho should stay. But that doesn't mean he, he can't face criticism. Yeah, I, I couldn't really put that any, any better myself. I think I totally trust Mourinho in this situation. I think generally... This season, the majority of the times where we've had bad performances or, or just haven't haven't won games hasn't actually been down to Mourinho for the majority of the time. Like I said, most of the games where we've been at home and we, we've struggled to get past smaller teams that just sat back, we have created chances. Mourinho has done the right things with his tactics. We just haven't been able to finish chances. Um, I think the notion that, that Mourinho should be sacked is frankly ridiculous, but it's also ridiculous to say that he can't ever be criticised because... He has made mistakes this season, as as have our players, and they all need to take responsibility for those mistakes and try and build on them for next season. Um, as you said, for me, for me, the money isn't important. If the club has the money, why shouldn't they spend it? It doesn't matter to me how much money that we spend, but with the quality of the players that we put in, those four players, three of those are unarguably world-class. Mkhitaryan, Zlatan, Pogba are world-class players. And with those players... To not be getting top four with the squad that we already had and the squad depth that we had, it it's not right. And Mourinho and the players need to both take responsibility for that. Um, and it's something that we can't just sweep it under the rug as if to say, oh, it's fine because it's Mourinho, because it's Pogba, because it's Zlatan. We can't criticise them, they're so good. That they, they have underperformed at times this season, everyone has. It doesn't mean that they, they can escape criticism for, for any kind. But having said that, I think we do have a very strong call to our squad. Mourinho definitely is the right manager to take us forward. It's just a case of trying to bring all those pieces together and going on the kind of run that we've been on recently where we can go 19 games unbeaten, but where 17, 18 of those games are wins instead of Chelsea and Tottenham still outscoring us by 10, 11 points. We'll move on to Mourinho's comments after the game in a second, but I mean, I'm, I'm okay with him bashing the players. I think, I think quite, quite a lot of them 
and this isn't referring to Luke Shaw, I think that's wrong. But other players have, have got away with too much in, in the last three years and haven't faced criticism enough. Others have faced too much criticism, like Fellaini. Um, but Marino's got to take some share of the blame. And I don't mean publicly. I just, And maybe he has done. But, I mean, you, you look at the team last season and we were rubbish. I mean, rubbish has never been a more apt word for a football team. But teams were sitting back against us, expecting us to do exactly the same as we do now and play around the box. But Martial was still scoring. Rashford was still managing to score prolifically. Um, eight goals in his first 17 games for United, which is incredible for an 18-year-old. Um, and I don't think he's scored in the league since September or something. So is Martial um, turning into a worse player because Mourinho is not trusting him as much? Is Rashford turning into a worse player because he's not starting as much? Um, has Mourinho relied on Zlatan too much? Um, has has he put too much emphasis on Paul Pogba in midfield? There's, there's so many questions that we we can't possibly know the answer to, but should be asked, um, if if that makes sense, um, as, as so few things do. But, I mean, you, you go back to Old Trafford, he said, we're struggling more at home than away, and that, that's, that's quite clearly true, because... I mentioned that Bournemouth have scored the same amount of goals as us. Liverpool have scored 22 more goals. At home, we, we're the 14th highest team for scoring goals at home. So 14th highest in the, in the league for goals scored by home. Um, so near the relegation zone in terms of that. We've created more chances than anyone else at home and has shot on goal more than everyone except one other. So certainly we've been unlucky. And Marino can consider himself unfortunate, but he also has to take some of the blame because why aren't those players scoring? Because you, you can't sack... I mean, I, I've always expressed my, my annoyance at this, but you can't simply sack all your players. Yeah, the people turning to put everything on Mourinho and trying to say that they should sack, sack Mourinho, it's just, it's just ridiculous, honestly, to be even contemplating on. Um, but the players need to step up as well. I think... One thing, one thing this game definitely showed was that we really miss Paul Pogba when he's not playing, and there probably is a, a certain degree of over reliance on on him and, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic because they have carried, especially Zlatan, um, through this season. He's carried us through so many clutch moments, come up with so many important goals. But I think it really did show the importance of Paul Pogba to our team because in midfield we just looked so predictable all the time. It was so slow. So predictable the parts we were trying to play, the patterns of play we were trying to create. And Pogba just gives that, that unpredictability. And sometimes it's not a good thing. Sometimes he tries to be too unpredictable and it backfires. But that's what you get with Paul Pogba. And what he brings to our team is just the sense that you never quite know what he's going to do next. And for the vast majority of the time, it works out very well. And I even saw, I even saw a couple of articles on Sky Sports start pointing out how much we miss Pogba, which was nice to see that finally he's getting some credit in the media where he's been bashed for a lot of the season um, because his season has not been anywhere near as bad as people have been making out. He's had some fantastic performances and so I, I hope that he, he can return for the midweek game. He seems like he's borderline at the moment. But but just on, on Paul Pogba quickly, um, it's, it's difficult because I th- I've... I mean, I'm sure if if other people have been listening to this podcast every week, you've heard me back Paul Pogba. I mean, pretty much every single week, except when he was uh, even too atrocious for me to back him against Liverpool back in January. Um, 
But I I do think we missed him, and I I'll, I'll explain the main reason why in just a moment. But I also think he was playing in all those other games, as was Latan, as was Mikitarian, and and still the same. We we got the same outcome. So I don't think it's simply a matter of of missing Pogba. There's there's something other than that. Um, but just the the thing on on why we miss Pogba, I think I mean, often a a key way of showing if we're struggling to break someone down is you look at the fullbacks and where they're passing. As in, you look at how many times they've passed backwards, basically. So for Valencia yesterday or on Saturday, if you're listening to this on Monday, um, it was 48 of his 82 passes. So more than half of his passes went backwards. Like 22 went to Carrick backwards, 12 to Bailly backwards. Um, so you're playing to the centre back, the deep midfielder, um, and it was just notable yesterday because the fullback runs up to his opposite man, turns around, passes back to the centre back. It happens again and again. That's where I think you miss Pogba because Pogba sits very deep. Um, some people don't like the fact that he's playing deeper, but what happens is Pogba sits deep. Valencia goes up to up, up to his opposite man, or the left back does, and Pogba because he's quite mobile in that midfield, moving from right to left all the time, following the play, um, which I'm sure he's been told to do. When Valencia turns round and needs to pass backwards, he passes to Pogba. But the difference between passing to Carrick and Bailly to passing to Pogba is that Pogba picks up the ball and dribbles straight through midfield with it. Takes three or four players out of the game straight away. That doesn't happen with Carrick and Bailly. So I think I think that's the area that we missed Pogba quite significantly against West Brom. But at the same time, there is a there is a wider issue than simply missing simply missing Pogba and Zlatan. The rest of our the rest of our options in midfield, I just don't think can can really replicate what Pogba gives us in in any way, which is a, a shame because it does mean that we end up not through any intention of the management or the or the playing staff, but you end up over relying on Pogba because he is the only one in our squad that can do certain things with the ball and he offers something that no one else really does. But the team has to find a way to win to win without Pogba as well. Um, and, and as you said, in, in other games this season, Pogba hasn't been able to make the difference. There have been games, Burnley, Stoke, where, where Pogba and Zlatan, for that matter, have both played and, and they haven't been able to make any difference. But the team needs to find a way to win without them as well because we can't just become over-reliant on one or two players because this is going to happen. Injuries are part and parcel of being a footballer and it's not like we can rely on them to play every game for 90 minutes every week. So... Mourinho and the players need to find a way to really try and work around these issues because, I mean, we get Zlatan back on uh, in midweek. We get Herrera back as well. Pogba possibly playing. Um, Mata, no one really knows right now. It seems like he could be out for the season, which is a big blow because Mata's been very, very good in recent weeks. But we need to find a way to win without these players. We have a squad that's big enough. We have good enough squad depth. You would think that we should be able to cope with it, but we just don't seem to be able to to produce when the moment when we need it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Mata's set to come back in in May for the final few games, and and if we do make the Europa League final for that as well. But he's definitely he's going to miss nine games in April. He's already missed one. Um, and yeah, there, there should be a, a fair few players coming back at, at least Latan and Herrera, possibly uh, Paul Pogba against Everton on Tuesday, which we'll we'll preview later in the show. Um, I mean, I mean, it's really tough the injuries that we got specifically. Um, you can cope without Zlatan, but to cope without your two best midfielders in Pogba and Herrera, plus uh, a brilliant bench option if he's not starting in Juan Mata, um, someone someone that's very good at breaking down sides, particularly um, small teams who who sit back, um, often can 
can tend to disappear in big games despite scoring lots of goals in big games. Um, Matt is very good at that. So we got we got incredibly unlucky with the specific injuries we did get. But yeah, game games are piling up. And I think yesterday showed that the squad depth isn't incredible and showed that we need a significant number of signings and, and a clear out in the summer. But we have been saying that for the last four years. Part of the issue with our squad depth is that we seem to have one player, like like every player who's not a regular starter seems to be cover for three or four different positions, which is great on the face of it. But when you have players who are out in all of those different positions, it then becomes a real problem. You you look at Ashley Young, for example, he's seen as cover for right back, left back, right wing, left wing. And if we have players out in all of those positions, he can't do all of that himself. Um, almost the same with Fellaini. He, he's seen as cover for every single position in midfield and then striker as well sometimes. But when we have players out in all of those positions, as we do at the moment with Herrera, Popa, Zlatan, he can't cover all of those different options himself. Um, and I think that's kind of the issue with our squad depth. It looks great because we're like, oh, we have all these versatile players in so many different positions. When you have a true injury crisis like we do at the moment with suspensions as well, one player covering a number of positions doesn't work. You need a number of players who are all good in certain areas. Um, and that I think that's part of the issue with our, with our squad depth. It needs to be addressed over... Over the summer, we need to really bring in some reinforcements or promote more people from the youth team. Um, it's good to see Matty Willock on the bench, but it, we need more more like that. Uh, final word on this. Um, football 365, I think summed it up pretty well, calling United the, the unconvincibles as we, we continue our unbeaten run to 19 games, but still managing to be utterly rubbish. Um, I have used rubbish a number of times, but it is a, it is a particularly good word for for Man United at the moment. Um, so we are unbeaten, but that run is covering up some some really poor, poor football. Right, uh, it's it's been a busy weekend for United's under-16s and under-18s. Um, let's start with the older group. The 18s went down to London for their third game in the under-18 Premier League Group 1. Uh, this is a playoff stage of the under-18 Premier League. Um, they were playing Chelsea, and a deflected shot from Ethan Hamilton gave United an eight-minute lead. Chelsea equalised through Castillo, and then took the lead thanks to a Gallagher penalty just before the half-hour mark. Josh Bohui made it 2-2 just after half-time, but another Gallagher penalty continued a frantic game to give Chelsea a 3-2 lead. Substitute Nishan Burkar equalised dramatically in the 80th minute for United, capitalising on tired Chelsea legs. But it was tired United legs that let Josh McEachran score a 94th-minute winner for Chelsea, Likely to win the under-18 Premier League this season, Chelsea. An incredible side. Two brilliant sides going against each other, making for a very good game. Ended up 4-3 to Chelsea with that McEachran 94th minute winner. At under-16 level, United were playing in the Liam Brady tournament at Arsenal's revamped Hayland Academy training ground. On Friday, they beat Juventus 3-2 in their first game. Ethan Laird and Mason Greenwood scoring, the latter with a brace. They then lost 2-0 to Arsenal before coming back on Saturday morning to play Bayern Munich in their third and final game. They lost to Bayern Munich 2-1 with Laird scoring again. In the third, fourth place playoff, goals from Anthony Alanga, an under-15 player, and under-14s Odubeku and Sotana saw United finish third with a 3-2 win against Bayern playing in that third, fourth place playoff. Of course, there was, there was a first team squad involvement um, for, for Matty Willick, the first time he's been with the first team. Um, I feel that may be a, a sweetener for Willock, who's, who's been linked with a move away in recent week. His brother at Arsenal, Chrissy, is linked to Celtic and Matty is linked to Rangers. Perhaps that will be an, an interesting thing to look out for. Fun fact about Matty Willock, he actually went to my, my secondary school, who's in the year above me at school. 
Ah, interesting. I knew, knew him and his brother. His brother Chris is at Arsenal as well. Yeah, and his his younger brother, uh, I think it's Joe, is at Arsenal. Yeah, all three of them went to my school, yeah. That's cool. There we go. Exclusive there for you. Um, in low news, Adnan Yedazai played 61 minutes as Sunderland were beaten by Watford. Sam Johnston continues to impress with Steve Bruce's Aston Villa. After sixth clean sheet in seven games, Bruce said he's had a wonderful few weeks and that's obviously helped the whole team. His presence at the moment has given everybody that confidence that we can keep a clean sheet. Right, Tuesday night, 8pm I think it is. Um, a tough challenge against what I'd call a, a fluctuating Everson side, um, whipped by Liverpool. I mean, if ever an early goal would be massive, I mean, obviously it always is, but Everton, like Spurs, have often been, um, are a team that can crumble very easily when the game is going against them. Start picking up silly bookings for rash challenges. So um, we, we'll hope for an early goal against Everton to bring that about. Yeah, it'd be crucial, I think, and especially to lift the crowd as well, because there's going to be some very anxious some very anxious fans at the game after what happened on, on Saturday. So an, an early goal would be great to lift the crowd, give the players a boost. And like you said, Everton sometimes don't don't recover too well when, when things aren't going their way. You never quite know which Everton you're going to get. Sometimes they turn up and they can put in truly brilliant performances. Um, and then you get some of the ones like against Liverpool at the weekend where they look a little bit scruffy and they don't like creating too much. But with someone like Lukaku up front, there's always danger. Um, I think it's going to be a tough game, honestly. I think Everton are going to want to bounce back from their Merseyside derby defeat. Obviously, we're going to hopefully want to do the same from West Brom. But Everton are a good side. Although, when we've played them in recent seasons, we've managed to managed to deal with Lukaku reasonably well. And I don't think they're quite the same force away from home as they are at Goodison. They're never any good away from Goodison when they're playing at Anfield. But just in general, um, they, they are a team who have a form that does change quite significantly. Um, and you can, you can back Joel Robles after his his howler Anfield um, to have a, a brilliant game at Old Trafford on Tuesday. Um, not that I'm sour or anything. Um, but, I mean, Zlatan to return, Herrera to Pogba may return, though no one really knows. He trained at Old Trafford post-match on Saturday with, with a few other people. Um, let, let's, let's wrap things up before we move on to Sunday. And prediction for the Everton game? I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and say a 2-1 win. Yeah, I'm going to copy you on that. 2-1 win. Um, right, Sunderland. The worst team in the league and we're away from home, which is probably a positive. Um, I seem to remember it being a, a similar time last year with, with Van Hal, maybe a couple, a month or so before when when Rooney was in great form, having been shocking all season, got injured halfway through the game and Van Hal just left him on the pitch and, and ruled him out for about two months and we still lost 2-1. Um, predictions for this one against David Moyes and, and Adnan Yanazai. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of bad omens, I feel, going into this game. Um, obviously, you've got David Moyes after his ill-fated spell at the club. You've then got Adnan Yanazai as well. Um, a ton of former United players still playing down at the You've got, uh, you've got a back line of a back line of Paddy McNair, Donald Love, John yeah. O'Shea. Uh, Wes Brown's not there Wes anymore. Brown, yeah. he's, he's now at Blackburn. But yeah, classic Sunderland. I remember they used to have uh, Kieran Richardson. Roy yeah. Keane was manager. Um who else? Are there? Danny Welbeck and Johnny Evans on loan at one point. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, it's strange how many of our players end up there, really. But yeah, it's just there's a lot of bad omens for me going into this game. Um, I can't. 
I mean, I, I don't want to say that we're not going to get a win at Sunderland. We have to beat Sunderland. Surely they are the worst team in the league. Um, um, but I think it'll be a tight game. I think I think we're going to escape with a one 0 win and not play very well. God, that's depressing. Um, no, I'm I'm going to be more optimistic. Go three one, but an uncomfortable three one if if that's possible. Right, we've got a few questions. Um, Dan at Loz nine o four one asks, "Do you think things will improve with Eber returning soon?" Um, yes, uh, I don't think the style of play will improve significantly, but the the results I think will will do simply because he's he's so prolific despite missing uh, a huge amount amount of chances per game. Yeah, I, th- I think it definitely will improve. I don't think him coming back will necessarily make us go out and be beating every team four or five nil. But I think it will improve us. It just gives us a different avenue of attack, it gives us a more physical presence up front. So. Yes, in a word, I do think it will improve, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely agree. At A.O. James asks, would you prefer Ibra staying and no Griezmann or Griezmann coming and no Ibra next season? Uh, that's, an, that's an easy answer for me. I'll let you go first, though. Uh, for me, I'd rather Griezmann come. Um, not, not, I don't think there's a huge difference in the ability of the players, but I think you have to look to the future. And one season with Ibrahimovic is not it's not worth sacrificing maybe 10, 10 great seasons from Griezmann if it, if it could possibly happen. Well, I, th- I think 10 is optimistic. But I, firstly, I think Griezmann... Um, I don't think Griezmann would score as many as Latan, but I think he's a, a better all-round player. Or not necessarily yeah. a better all-round player, but I think we'd play much nicer football with Griezmann in the side. Um, then again... Uh, spending eight, 90 million just for a slightly nicer football is a lot of money. But as I've always said, I, I don't really care about the money. So, I, I yeah, I definitely prefer Griezmann coming and no Ibra next season um, just for nicer football and a, and a more long-term project. Um, so, Latan, as, as we've said previously, it's a, it's a perfect transition player. Yeah. Um, and a final question um, from Dan again at Loz9041 says, who would be your number one ideal signing for United in the summer? Oh, you better go first in this one. Yeah, I was I was leaving leaving space for you there <laughs> while I thought about it, but I suppose I'll, yeah, me too. Uh, Gr- Griezmann's high up there, um, but if if he said, "Can you sign anyone?" I may well say Griezmann, but that's that's generally for the the pure excitement and the just the fun of signing someone with a with so much ability. Um, but I don't think he's the player we need most, if if that makes sense. So. If I had more time to think this question, I would come up with a, a brilliant centre-back um, or a brilliant midfielder. I mean, it, I, I don't know if this is realistic signing because if, if it's just ideal, then uh, I, I've been pining for Luka Modric for the last decade. But, I mean, a realistic signing is hard to come up with. Mourinho said that all of our transfer targets are going to be hard to, hard to acquire. Yeah, I th- I'm, with, I'm with you on the centre-back, definitely. I can't think of a name off the top of my head who would be realistic. Um, but a, a great centre-back to partner Eric Bailly next season would be high on my list of priorities. Um, <clears throat> in terms of a midfielder, speaking of, uh, we were speaking a little bit before about Griezmann, a, a more long-term project. Someone who I think would be great to... Um, come, we're going to see a lot of him soon because we play Anderlecht, would be Yuri T. Elements. I don't know if I've just pronounced his name completely wrong, but um, I've watched him a few Tell times. More. Uh, there we go. Cheers, Harry. Got our resident Belgian here. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But yeah, I've watched him a few times this season. Every time I've seen him, he's played brilliantly. I think he's just passed 20 goals for the season as well for the midfield. Um, and I think he looks like a player we can really use. Who knows how if he'll be able to handle the step up from the Belgian League to the Premier League. But I think he's a really exciting young player. I'm interested to see how he'll play against us in the Europa League soon. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure straight after that first leg, it will be Daily Mirror front page, Man United, Chelsea, spark transfer, transfer war for Yuri Tielman. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that's definitely a long term project. I mean, I would take almost everyone in the Monaco side and much of the Borussia Dortmund I mean, yeah. side. <laughs> yeah. um, the perfect game for scouts that one, Dortmund Monaco. Um, right, that's that's all we have time for on Series Two, Episode Thirty One of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. You can find more on fro- you can find more from me at at Harry Robinson sixty four, more from Jack at at UTD Tate T A I T, and for updates on the podcast, follow at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D. Uh, we're nearing an incredible one hundred thousand listens since we started back in January two thousand sixteen. Uh, thank you for all your support as always. If you've got a spare minute, please leave us a review on iTunes and keep subscribing, keep listening. Uh, we appreciate it hugely. Have a great week. Goodbye. Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.